Our scripture today is from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things on heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. This is God's word for God's people. Dear God, we come to you today and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you. We pray all this in the name of Christ our King. Amen. So a portion of our reading today is actually a hymn composed from verses 15 through 20. It's called A Christ Hymn. And as I read it, I wondered what it sounded like. Was it quiet and moving like Silent Night? Or light and melodious like the first Noel? Maybe bold and triumphant like Go Tell It on the Mountain. All of the songs that came to my mind were Christmas carols. Because I feel like this year, more than most, Christmas has shown up a little bit early. I don't know if you saw these memes on Facebook. Uh-oh. Where are the memes? You know? Maybe you didn't, well, you're not going to see them here, but maybe you saw them on Facebook. <laughs> oh, there they are. Good. So when the clock strikes midnight, Halloween will end, and then bam, Christmas carols everywhere. The difference between a day. And are we allowed to put up our Christmas tree <laughs> now that Halloween is over? Of course, decorations have been in the stores for months, but now I was starting to see them on the yards of people. And even though I never put my decorations up until after Thanksgiving, I was even starting to feel a little bit like doing it a couple of weeks ago. I didn't have the time, but I felt like it. <laughs> and of course, there's the local radio station that started playing 24-7 Christmas music on November 1st. I don't know about you, but I've been listening to it. <laughs> and so, as I thought about this sermon for Christ the King, the familiar words of joy to the world struck a note with me. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. 
And I began to explore what that really meant for us to receive Christ as King. So before we move into Advent, the season where we prepare our hearts for the birth of our Savior, let's hit the pause button on Christmas and take the time to claim Christ as our King and think about what that means for our lives. The first thing that it means is that we believe that Christ is divine and has all the authority of God. Verse 15 tells us that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. Colossians 2.9 tells us that God lives fully in Christ. So Jesus is not like God. Jesus is not the best ever follower of God. Jesus is, in fact, God. Verse 16 continues to tell us not only is he divine, but he has all the authority of God, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities. We hear a similar message of divinity and power in the opening of the Gospel of John. Nope. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. And in verse 17, we hear that all things are held together by Christ. One of the things that I miss most about having an infant at home are those quiet moments in the middle of the night when the world was still. I would rock my babies, holding them gentle but secure. And that's the image that comes to my mind when I read this verse of Christ holding all things together, holding the universe, the world, all of us, gentle but secure. And then there were those not-so-quiet moments, like in the pediatrician's office, when the baby would be getting a shot, and the nurse always enrolls the mom or the dad to hold the legs or the arms of the infant. And so there's our baby screaming and uncomfortable and scared, but we hold on providing security, and then comfort. So as the world leaves us scared and uncomfortable sometimes, when it doesn't seem like anything is going right, and the news is terrible, and we wonder how we got to this present reality, when it seems the whole world is flailing about like the arms of that infant, this hymn assures us that Christ is still there, holding all things together, firm but gentle. Having the belief that Christ is divine and has all the authority of God is just really the first part of claiming Christ as our king. The second part is a little harder to swallow because it involves our behavior. Claiming Christ as king should mean a new reality. Verse 13 in our reading says, He rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us 
and to the kingdom of the son he loves. This word transferred in the verse comes from the Greek word methistani. And there's a lot of history in that word. See, this was a time of empires and conquerors. And it was customary that when a new land was conquered, the ruling emperor or king would take the population of the defeated people and move them to their new land. Transfer them from the homeland they always knew to a new way of living, unfamiliar to them. That's what happened to the Israelites when they were conquered by the Babylonians and exiled in Babylon. But Christ doesn't take his authority like a mighty king and force us into a new way of living. We submit to his authority when we claim him as king and allow him to rule over our lives. But that should still mean a transfer, a change, a different reality. Not the same reality we've always had where we can just now figure out where to stick Jesus in our life, but a whole new perspective where Christ is king and everything else is ordered around that. Verse 18 continues to tell us that Christ is the head and the body of the church, the beginning, and that he should occupy first place in everything. First place in everything. It reminds me of those bracelets from the 90s. Do you remember them? They said WWJD. What did that stand for? What would Jesus do? Right. Um, it w- became a motto for Christians that we should act in ways that demonstrate the love and compassion of Christ, that our first response should be a Christ-like response. But this wasn't a new concept in the 90s. Uh, Actually, a London preacher named Charles Spurgeon used that same phrase, what would Jesus do, several times in a sermon on June 28, 1891. And in that sermon, he credited a 15th century German theologian named Thomas von Kemper, who wrote a book called Imitatio Christi, or The Imitation of Christ. Further back than that, even, Augustine wrote about this concept in the 4th century. He wrote that the imitation of Christ should be the goal and the ultimate purpose in the life of a Christian. So, Imitating Christ is something that we can apply to our personal lives. We can determine how we should spend our time and our resources based on the teachings of Christ. We can model the relationship of Christ with his Father to shape our prayer and our worship life. And we can learn the teachings of the parables to develop a set of ethics by which we lead our lives. But it's not just the personal life that should be affected by our imitation of Christ, our public and civic life should also be impacted by this concept. It should affect how we treat others as Jesus did with love and acceptance and compassion. It should impact how we vote and how we hold our leaders accountable 
and it should absolutely impact how we address systemic evils like racism, discrimination, and poverty. Putting Christ first in everything, trying to live a life of imitation is not easy. I don't know anybody who does it without fail. But that is part of what we are called to do if we are to live the life of a disciple following all of the teachings of Christ. But the really good news is that the joy we receive from knowing that Christ is our King is an amazing source in our lives. Verses 19 and 20 finish the hymn, because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens. He brought peace through the blood of the cross. The author here is claiming the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross, that we are forgiven, saved, and transformed. And that should bring to us a deep and abiding sense of joy down in our hearts. Where? <laughs> down in our hearts. Not just happiness, which can change depending on our circumstances. Because our king did not come like a mighty king or a conquering emperor. Luke 2, chapters 10 through 12, tells us that the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born in this day the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. Our king came as a baby in a stable. Our king did not lead the lavish lifestyle of a royal, and our king did not claim his victory over death by wielding his power like a sword. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 10, another Christ hymn, explained to us how our king came. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That is how our king came, as a servant, saving us. And that should fill us with a sense of great rejoicing. I had the opportunity this past week to go to a spiritual retreat at Camp Allen, and they have a labyrinth in their chapel there. 
And I'm always excited and grateful when I get the opportunity to walk a labyrinth because there aren't very many nearby. Uh, it's a way to walk and to pray. And when we enter the labyrinth, we're invited to let go of our burdens or come to God with a question. And as we reach the center, to wait and listen for the Lord to speak. And as we exit, think about how we can apply that wisdom to our life. As I entered the labyrinth, I asked God what I needed to let go of, to serve him fully. It took me about 15 minutes to get to the center. It was a, a large labyrinth, and I walked kind of slow, pausing at each turn to take a breath and listen for the Lord. And what I heard was that I need to release negativity because that is a battle that I fight every day. And some of that fight is internal, my own negative thoughts about myself or my surroundings, other people or events that I can't control. But lately, a lot of the negativity is external. It's the news and complaints and just a general climate of anxiety. And I realized that all of that was stealing the joy in my heart of knowing that I was forgiven and saved. The joy of knowing that Christ is my king who reigns over all, but also my personal friend and savior. As I reached the center, I knelt on the hardwood floor. I prayed the Lord's Prayer. And this sense of joy as I released all of the negative things that had been weighing me down swelled inside of me and a smile spread across my face. And in that quiet moment, I felt how Mary must have felt as she sat at the feet of the Lord. You know the story in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus and his disciples are coming to the home of Mary and Martha, and Martha is busily preparing everything necessary to host Christ and the disciples while Martha sits at the feet of the, while well, Mary sits at the feet of the Lord, and Martha gets a little upset. And I have to tell you, every time I've heard that story preached in the past, I have always identified way more with Martha than with Mary. I would be listening to the preacher, but in my head I'd be thinking, somebody had to cook dinner? Thank goodness for Martha. I never really got what was so special about Mary sitting at the feet of her Lord. Not until that moment in the center of the labyrinth. And then I felt a little sad for Martha that she had let her anxiousness and negativity win out over basking in the joy of the Lord. I got up and walked, kind of rushed, out of the labyrinth as I thought about how I could share this with you, with my family, with the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. 
This year is the 300th anniversary of that song. Isaac Watts wrote it in the year 1719. But he didn't write it to be a Christmas carol. He wrote it to be a song we could sing every day as a reminder of the joy and the celebration that we should feel at knowing that Christ is King. So before we resume our playlist of Christmas, today we can take a moment to give thanks, to recognize that Christ is our King, fully divine, first in everything, and the source of our unending joy. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we are full of your gladness. Your coming has given us reason to rejoice, and we joyfully declare you as our King. Prepare our hearts to receive all that you are and all that you have for us. Come and live within us. Amen.